Welcome to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. Our guests today are Michelle Carla Handel and Jason Ramos. Michelle Carla Handel is a sculptor and Jason Ramos is a painter, both working in Los Angeles. They're also co-directors with Molly Shea of Eastside International, which is a gallery in Los Angeles and hosts an international artist residency. I sort of think that the more activity there is, the better. And the more artists are um, empowering themselves and other artists to show and not just sit, you know, make work in their studio and wait for some kind of commercial gallery to take notice. I mean, it's a way to engage in the community and participate and have meaning. Because I do think there's a lot of virtue or worth to having international artists living in LA and interacting and having a non-commercial alternative art space that like artists are running. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a need for that beyond uh, whatever we get out of it personally. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to the people on a live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. Or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. We're also hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And there you can find out more. Michelle Carla Handel and Jason Ramos, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having us. us. So you guys are co-directors, along with Molly Shea, of Eastside International, a gallery here in Los Angeles. Can you tell us about the space? Sure, yeah. Uh, Eastside International, it's an alternative exhibition space for contemporary art, and it also has an international artist residency program that we have in the building there. Um, it's at 602 Moulton Avenue, which uh, used to be uh, raid projects back in the day. Um, so, uh, But basically... I was running raid projects. I took that over from Max Press Neal back in 2010. And then in 2014, just changed the name and kind of changed the mission when Michelle came along. Um, well, I want to I want to add to that. You no. didn't it wasn't just a changing of the name, but no. we sort of were Jason was going to kind of wind down um, raid projects. I was at a crossroads. He was at a crossroads <laughs> and um, he was uh, had kind of um, well was in the process of phasing out the residency program. There were, there were two residents um, at any given time at the space and he was rent- starting to just rent out the space, a studio space and uh, I was like, I kind of think the residency program is like not the coolest aspect of the, the whole thing but a really great no. part of um, the organization and Let's maybe think about doing that together. Yeah. So we wanted to create a new thing, but um, and we were going to find a new space and everything. But we wound up. Jason had the lease already, and it was already built out. And yeah. the, we, you know, the costs, you know, of building out a new space were like daunting. So uh, that's why it stayed in the same location. But we yeah. were sort of interested at first in moving. But um, so I would yeah. consider it a new endeavor. At least for me, it's a completely sure. new endeavor. Sure. So. And, sure. and Molly Shea uh, was, how did that, she was a resident, she, right? Uh, no, she was uh, living there at Ray Projects, and she was doing uh, events and exhibitions and performances and things out of her studio under the brand name Dutch Door. And so she was sort of there when I kind of decided to turn it around into Eastside. And so she was kind of one of the, you know, the three sort of artists that were responsible for doing stuff in that whole space. 
So, um, so yeah, so she came on board kind of at the beginning. And her role is uh, as another co-director, is that correct? Right, right. And she lives there, too. So she sort of, you know, ends up having the most interaction with the residents and kind of, you know, having the kind of uh, presence at the space of somebody who lives there. Because um, I used to live there, but I don't anymore. But uh, Michelle has her studio there. So right. We're, um, so, yeah, we're sort of involved in that whole space and, like, multiple different ways and so the residency program uh that and that's one of the bigger differences between just uh, formerly raid and, and eastside international uh and it's it's grown like you said michelle mm-hmm. right yeah, so yeah. maybe yes. could you talk about the the residency program like how it works and who's been there and what they do yeah no totally um it sort of functions there's uh these residency directories uh right there's res artiste and uh oh gosh what's another one uh what's another good one there's retitle which is like an like an international contemporary art site and a couple of others and you can um you can sort of advertise on those things and that's what uh people overseas use if they're like oh i want to go to los angeles and they'll look by city and the Eastside international will come up and uh raid projects used to come up in those um and so that's kind of like the key to it but a lot of times it's word of mouth like people do a residency and then they go back to their home country and they tell everybody um, which is why there's so many Australians in Los Angeles now. Um, you brought them all here. I brought them all here. And, and They've no, almost all been at least raid projects at some yeah, point, which no, is interesting. Yeah. What, what, or accounts, many of them. what accounts for that? They just give a lot of money to artists. Well, they to used do. to before, the, oh, I guess, Tony the current. Abbott, yes. Yeah, Tony Abbott's kind of, I don't know, yes. screwing the situation. Sort but of amateur geopolitical analysts because of... Uh, you know, most of the artists, they come on their government's dime, right? Because it's easier for artists in other parts of the world to get money to do residencies. Um, but uh, so, yeah, they come from all over. And that's um, pretty much how the the majority of the revenue from the space to keep it going comes from. And Tony Abbott is removing funding for that sort of thing? Is that what's going on? That's what we hear, though. We Well, yeah, we haven't gotten an Australian app in a long time. Um, yeah. yeah, the last one that came was sort of like, yeah, I'm, I came now because I don't know what it's going to be like in a few months or a year or whatever. So, yeah, he's really yeah. conservative and cutting funding for the arts, apparently. Yeah. So, and how many, yeah. so how many residents are there at any one time, and how long are... is a typical residency? There's usually there's three at there's one three time now. There's three now. And uh, there used to be two, and they stay at the, at this time anywhere from one month to three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, starting in fall, we're gonna um, we're gonna try out just having three month, like four times a year, three month long residencies because mm-hmm. it just gives us more time to make things happen for them, to give them a chance yeah. to show and meet people and for them to produce work. And the one-month turnarounds are so hard. Yeah. They're really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot for us to do. It's a lot for them to do. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But, it's of course, it's more yeah. expensive for them to come. It's going to probably mean fewer American residents, yeah. which we do get quite a few at this time. But, sure. From um, New York and things like that. Yeah, but I mean, even still, the residency here is cheaper than an apartment and a studio in New York. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably so. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we might still get some New Yorkers. Sure. Uh, if and we're lucky. Do you guys get like a quite a number of um, applicants? I mean, we, what yeah. is the, yeah. what is that like? What is the? We get enough so that we can turn down some, um, and you know, it's kind of me, Michelle, and Molly that are basically. Being like yes or no, or if you know, you know, do we want to live with this person or not? Um, <laughs> and um, you know, and it's mostly based on just how the quality of their artwork, pretty much. And like you know, if they follow the procedure that I very, they took a lot of time to clearly delineate on the website. Um, you know, little things like that. Um, 
And then, uh, but yeah, we get we get a fair amount. We're getting more and more, um, mm. so which is good. And I think that's word of mouth. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, and I think you already said this, but they're living in the yep. the the building. They're living yeah, in yeah. the building. Right. Yep, shared you know communal sure. kitchen bath with, and then with they, the exhibition space. Right with there. the yeah. whatever arts in there, they have to live with that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they live there and they have a bedroom and a studio that's to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of semi-communal living, so it's, you know, so they are, you know, they're forced to make the interactions with the other residents or whatever, which is good, you know, and it's kind of this uh, experience for them, so. Well, I, I'm hesitant to bring this up, but there's no way that I cannot <laughs> bring this up, um, and that is uh, the fact that Eastside International is located, you could say, in the brewery complex. Yes. So, especially for people who are not from Los Angeles, mm. maybe you guys could describe mm. what the brewery it was, is, and then your relationship to it. Because I know, sure. it's, I know it's a little complicated. We no, like to ask the difficult questions. No, that's not right. No, it's, it's like Chris Matthews and Hardball. Yeah. Um, it's not Charlie Rose. Um, no, the brewery is uh, it's uh, this big kind of large art colony thing, and it's basically like a giant apartment complex. But it sort of caters to artists who need studios and need space to work and stuff. Um, it used to be an old beer brewery. It used to be called the Eastside Brewery, in fact. Um, but anyways, yeah, we're sort of located on the grounds of that. Um, but there's a lot of other things located there also. Um, but um, yeah, it's the brewery, and they have their big art walk thing. We don't participate in it because like you have to pay a registration fee, and it's just sort of not worth us. Well, not to mention we're constantly having our own events. So we, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing personal against them or anything. It's just over the years, I'm kind of like, oh, should we do this? And then uh, so I just kind of don't deal with it. And it seems to me that <laughs> there is a disparity, or the sort of the rest of the brewery, not all of it, but a large majority of the rest of the brewery exists in or functions in a different sort of world. You can tell I'm being really careful about this. <laughs> functions in a yeah, sort of different... Yeah, there are landlords. So yeah, <laughs> like a different, like a different art, a different, let's, how am I going to do this? A different art like, context. Yeah. Yes. It's like a, yeah. Yeah. Sure. But I mean, it ultimately doesn't really add up to much, in my opinion, having been there for many years. Um yeah, no, I mean, if you go to the Art Walk, it's kind of like, oh, this is like more sort of like Burning Man sort of stuff than contemporary art. But there's totally contemporary artists that are, you know, great that have their studios there or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm not, um, I don't know. Like I said, after years of being living there, they're, they're actually, they're pretty easy to deal with as landlords. I mean, um, considering what we're doing there and everything. Um, so I don't know. I don't have anything but positive things really in, yeah. practically to say about the brewery. Well, um, I think, like you said, it's like you guys are existing there and you are running a lot of your own events. Yeah, yeah. Um, we sort of function on an island. I mean, there's it's cool that there's barbers there, but I think the extent of me wandering into the rest of the brewery go, means going to grab a drink or some food yeah. or something. No, I think we definitely but, feel like a niche or something there at the brewery. That's the way I kind of think of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, it's been fine. I mean, there are other spaces over there that I've been to a couple of times, but... Um, but yeah, no, there's not a lot of like interaction between us or whatever. Yeah, we have our own, um, our building is sort of attached to another building, but it's really our own building. So we, I feel, I feel like we're our own thing. 
Yeah, um, it's definitely one of the easier to find places in the brewery. It's um, right up front. Yeah, yeah. It's right there. yeah. You don't have to wander in, but we do. We do give people directions a lot. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the and the gallery is placed pretty nicely there as well with the long window. It's like you can't help but walk yeah, by yeah. if there's a show up, you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty an ideal space. That was kind of one of the reasons why we're like, oh, we should just yeah. stay here. It's kind of built out for it. And one of the common compliments. Well, you know, when people want to be nice, they're just like, oh, this is a great space. Um, basically, being like, oh, you know, the space has kind of been built out and designed yeah. and kept up for that reason. So it just makes it all very And easier. we're working on it some more, too. Well, yeah. you guys did a major renovation of the bathroom. Yes. Yeah. The bathroom for me pretty was stellar. really important. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty stellar. It's very pleasant. Yeah. 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 Thanks. No, Thank no, you. Great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I continue. Clean is always good. Clean is good. (laughs) Sure, sure. And so the gallery, how you guys aren't doing like twelve shows a year, but you guys keep a pretty, a pretty, pretty ambitious. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't know. I feel sort of an obligation to keep activity in that space going because it is such a nice space, and people kind of are expecting things to happen there. I guess. And it's Um, good for the residents as well to see things happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of one of the ideas that, well, you know, oh, it's the right place at the right time. This idea of like, well, what if this place is the right place and you're living here? Statistically speaking, you'll be there at the right time. Um, <laughs> right. So, no, we yeah. try to we try to organize events that so that um, there's as much cross pollination with the residency program and yeah. the exhibition programming. So like Jason is doing um, upcoming is the um, the artist talk for the current show that's up. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not going to air before then. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, tell so us we about tried, it anyway. Okay, sure. so we, we, you know, he's going to do a walkthrough with the artists in the current uh, show, and mm-hmm. then there's going to be open studios for the residents, so they get to show whatever they've been working on while yeah, they've yeah. been here. And that's pretty representative of the kind of stuff we try to do in between openings, right? Um, because we want the residents to have some kind of audience, right? But like because they're from you know outside of the country, usually nobody knows who they are, so it's like we'd be like, oh, here's these people. It's very unlikely that people will show up to check that out, even if they, you know, like what they saw at Eastside before. But if there's a show in the exhibition space of like local LA people that kind of have their own audience, and if we can have something going on at the same time with the residents, then it's like, all right, here's an audience that will sort of like get to see that stuff, right? Um, and so, uh, so it's this, you know, but this is all kind of stuff that I've just learned over the years, kind of, you know, running raid in this space, but yeah, giving a bunch of residents a show is just kind of like inviting some crickets to come hang out in the gallery space. Cause really it's hard to get, it's really hard to get people yeah. to, well, and, and residents are coming to LA more to, it's, it's a form of, uh, you go and you have a studio and you can make work, but it's also, it seems like it's a form of art tourism. And in, in, in the best sense, like seeing the rest of the artists in Los Angeles and what's yeah. going on. And yeah. And then so you're able to create synergy. Sure. <laughs> <Brother>. <laughs> yeah. 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 By, by, uh, by actually like using a situation that you have and then, yeah, yeah. like you said, create that cross pollinate pollinization. Totally. I will say that a lot of people have at least uh, an idea that they might want to live here. Too, which is interesting. Yeah, so they're just um, testing the waters. Oh, yeah, I, it's, I think it, a fair amount of them it, are. That, yeah. yeah, it sort of, sort of serves as like a transitional sort of uh, situation from wherever they're from to Los Angeles permanently, because um, you know a lot of artists from other parts of the world are like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm thinking of relocating and being an artist in a certain place other other than where I'm from, and um, Los Angeles is particularly attractive. So, um, 
a residency option for an artist in Los Angeles is like, you know, that's why we always have applications and stuff. So we'll return to our conversation with Michelle Carla Handel and Jason Ramos in a few minutes. But first, a new installment of Notes from the People. This episode, Morani Kornberg Weiss, an Israeli American poet and translator who currently lives in Los Angeles, will read from her recently published debut poetry collection, Dear Darwish, a series of letters and poems addressed to the late Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. This recording is from a reading at Insert Blanc Press from this past September 19, 2014. This is a project that I started working on or thinking about after the operation in Gaza in 2008. And um, I started conceptualizing the project a few years ago. I was reading Jack Spicer's After Lorca, and I tried to make sense of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as an Israeli. And I started writing these letters um, addressed to the late and great Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. And the book is called Dear Darwish. Dear Mahmoud, I often feel like a hostage confined to my own history. The world is a dark room and I am chained to the wall. My body pressed against cold brick loses trace of itself. It is stifling in here. I can barely breathe. The air is thick. I taste it. Lips damp, smell of excrement and blood fluorescent bulbs, electrical discharge turned into heat, then the ice, toes numb. I starve, I am exhausted, and when I let my imagine go there, I hear others. I feel eyes on me, the sound of smugness, scorn, of satisfaction in the corner. Thighs attempt to remain stable, feet covered in urine, cuts burn. I try to think of something else, but a voice yells, asks questions, and more questions, and repeats the questions, demands confessions. I can only commit to my birth, to encountering life at a certain point in time. I'm not responsible for this. I try to raise a hand to crease the limbs' lines according to their design. A hand enters the stomach, pressing through the intestines, pushing up towards the throat, opening the mouth, moving moving the lips. They say, I did it. It was me. Every time I fight it, the heavy metal pushed in dictates every move and gesture. The hand remains in the throat, mimicking a discourse. I did it, I say. It was me. They hang by shackles, low concrete wall, strengthen the hood, Kick, push, burn, beat with the butt of a rifle. The voice yells, asks, questions. The room windowless, barely the size of a mattress. I say, I am your amnesia, the blind spot of the mid-century. The metal confirmed on wrists, eroding into the skin, cold and cumbersome. A body toyed with, a pile of limbs. Something entered here. It hurts. I can't tell them to stop. This is the story I could have told had you unsealed my mouth. I was born on that day. Life, intentionally, is about unintention. Possibility is frightening. 
I'm here because my freedom is terrifying. And when people do not want to see something, they get mad at the one who shows them. They kill the messenger. Now let's get back to our conversation with Michelle Carla Handel and Jason Ramos. So you guys have a show opening up at Eastside International Manual History Machines uh, about about right now as we're as this show is going live. The people is going live. Yes. Tell us about Manual History Machines. Um, Well, the show opens February 21st and it's curated by Manual History Machines and they're this really great um, artist collective. Um, I'm going to say their names, and I hope I'm not going to forget anybody. Um, Rima Galoom, Tessie Whitmire, um, Bessie Kunath, and Daniela Campins. So um, four artists, and they are. I, the plan is now to curate a two-person show, but I'm not going to go into the details because I don't think it's all finalized yet. But, um, but they've done... Um, some wonderful they've curated some wonderful shows um they did a, a desert show uh that was already over a year ago mm-hmm. um at, in wonder valley that was great very uh, a lot of site specific work um they had uh, was that a f- the focus show the uh, yeah. yeah um our friends electric it's really wonderful oh, two-part yeah. show yeah oh, yeah right. yeah i remember that mm-hmm. yeah so we're really excited they're so going to be doing something for the really space great artists run curatorial collective yes um yeah. and so they don't have a space of their own they, they just, don't they curate no, wisely they do not no. yes <laughs> really wisely um so they find um sites uh and and locations where they can do you know curate shows which mm-hmm. is really cool, cool. yeah that's great Speaking of the wisdom of not having a space Mm -hmm. or having a space, um, (laughs) could you guys talk about the the sort of nuts and bolts, like financially specifically, or or other things about about running a gallery? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe would want a space or to run a space or host one, and and just don't even know how to get going. Yeah, sure, it's tough. Yeah, I don't think I think every case is is different and individual. I mean, in my case. You know, I was just kind of living at that space, and uh, I lived there long enough that the guy running it was, you know, after he was done living there, I just asked me if I wanted to take it over. Um, so I sort of had a unique situation there, but um, and it was already built out for work yeah, live, yeah, yeah. already built so, out, and and already had an exhibition space already built out. But I, you know, but I when I got the offer to live there, I was like, oh, that's a good place to live. There'll be opportunities or something in this vague sense so i can't i don't know if i can really take credit for that um but so first you need to like have a great bit of luck and fall into a pretty sweet situation (laughs) i mean that's the thing it's like step one when we were thinking to move the space it was cost prohibitive i mean just finding the space and um and building it out i mean the costs involved there but then our our unique situation is that we can't go into a neighborhood. I mean, the beauty of the brewery complex is that it really is kind of secure. And people, I sure. feel comfortable going in at three in the morning. We have people living there and we're kind of responsible for them. So, yeah. like, if you're just having an exhibition space, I think um, 
you it's it's possible for you to find a cheap space but then you don't have i mean the residency program for us offsets the cost of the exhibition space so you have the other thing where you have to figure out how to just pay the rent but Mm. you could find much cheaper rent than what we've got for sure sure totally Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but i mean it's tough i we would have liked to move yeah, no, like 80, you know. probably more, I haven't read the exact numbers, but the vast majority of all of our revenue goes to just paying the rent in the building. Um, so, you know, but that's real estate in Los Angeles. What are you going to do? Where were you guys looking to move if you wanted to move? Were you going to stay in the same area of town? Uh, ideally on the east side, since it's uh, that's kind of in our name. Um, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were real estate Lincoln cheaper. Heights. I mean, we're looking still to stay, because essentially we're neighbors. Yeah. Like, you and I, so... Um, yeah. Um, Lincoln Heights or um, even Boyle Heights further east. Um, what is that neighborhood called where... Montecito Heights. Montecito, Montecito yeah, Heights, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, you just start looking and like either know. if it was I, cheap enough... The real enough, estate prices are going up just because we mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if it was cheap oh, enough no. a square foot, it was like a super raw space. You know right. what I mean? So yeah. like there's not... You're not... If it's built out or, at all, you're paying for it. Or it's a cheap cheap by the square foot, but it's like you've got to go for 50,000 square feet. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, that's the yeah. other thing. And then you have to be responsible for renting the rest of it out. And we're already doing like three or four jobs. So like for us to do... An, the, other job of like trying to rent out commercial space or something that would be insane yeah and but then, so once you guys decided that okay we're gonna stay here because it's actually better it's it's perfect now yeah. so then beyond that the just the day-to-day i mean i always find the question of like uh you know who sends out the emails and stuff like that is important but oh, yeah. but uh yeah just being able to afford you know doing the exhibitions like buying the beer yeah, yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's like you think about everything oh my, and it's yeah. like oh, oh no God, i have to beer, buy yeah. so much alcohol right sure, now sure yeah. sure and there's spaces like uh monta vista or elephant which are also artist-run spaces yep. over mm-hmm. here on the east side of los angeles yeah yeah um that that are more you could describe them more as sort of collective artist spaces mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. you guys are two plus Molly Shea is you are three, but they have more like seven or eight people. So they divide up those tasks like between them, which is, which is a good strategy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But if you've got three people, it's like, you guys must be always busy. Hustling. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of, we never really said, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. But it's kind of happened that way. And, um, you know, I, I'm mostly the admin person. I'm like, doing all the emailing and and communicating with the residents um and in terms of the residency program and then jason's like the internet guy i mean he does all social media website everything and and molly is really the kind of functional liaison for the residents yeah the on-site person and then we all kind of take turns curating and everything but um but yeah i mean the money is it's always a it's always a thing. It's always a dilemma. And, um, we've put our own money into the space. Um, um, and before we get to an uncomfortable level of like putting our own money into the space, we we're starting to look for fiscal sponsorship and we've talked about going full on nonprofit. Um, and, uh, you know, starting to get more aggressive with fundraising and things like that, because we want to expand the programming, not just the residency. We want to have, you know, a lecture series and, yeah, be able to I, give people honorariums. And, and, and this thing, you know, has the potential, if it isn't already, of being sort of bigger than just me, Michelle, and Molly, you know what I mean? Um, 
And so, I mean, right now it's kind of like, well, what can me, Michelle, and Molly do? And it's kind of, that's what it is. Um, Or Michelle, Molly, and I, I guess I should say. Um, But like... (laughs) Uh, but so, so now it's kind of like this question of like, well, can it become this bigger thing that's bigger than us that we could eventually like other people would be running it down the line or something? Cause I do think there's a lot of, uh, virtue or worth to having international artists living in LA and interacting and yeah. having a non-commercial alternative art space that like artists are running. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a need for that beyond uh, whatever we get out of it personally. So, um, so I'm totally, that's one of the other things one of my other duties is trying to sort of figure out how do we sort of expand and develop and where are the opportunities for that kind of stuff. Um, so which takes you're, you're making the transitions really easy for me here. Speaking of <laughs> galleries of different uh-huh. sizes and financial <laughs> situations, yeah. um, it would be interesting to hear where you guys think that you're located in the spectrum yeah. of galleries in, let's just say Los Angeles specifically, right. you know, th- cause there's, there is a whole range yeah. with yeah. an empty chunk uh, in the middle um, more, more and more. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I feel definitely that East side is sort of in on the same tier as places like elephant and actual size and a uh, house on the West side. And some of these other artists from places that have like been around for a while. Monta Vista projects is another good one that find a way to sustain themselves. Um, and, you know, in our find a way to continually present exhibitions that, you know, don't have like super high production values like Regan projects or something like that. Um, but there's a need in a, for that niche to be filled. And yeah, I mean, I sort of, there are definitely some commercial galleries that like we sort of have affinity towards uh, in terms of like the scale of exhibitions and stuff. And, and the fact that there are these places that are open to the public where you can go see art and it's free and it's great and you can ask questions about it, um, which is kind of, you know, in my view, sort of a responsibility of galleries because, um, you know, a lot of them don't make a lot of money, but it's like they do provide sort of the service to show art. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I sort of think that the more activity there is, the better. And the more artists are... um, empowering themselves and other artists to show and not just sit, you know, make work in their studio and wait for some kind of commercial gallery to take notice. I mean, it's a way to engage in the community and participate and have meaning. And, and so I think it's, it's so exciting. I have been, since I graduated uh, from grad school, I was so excited how many artists run and alternative spaces there are in the city. Mm. It's so cool. I mean, I think it might be a byproduct of the fact that the economy is crap and that you write like the mid-level gallery might be struggling, phasing out, whatever. And that really does suck. But I mean, if it's creating this opportunity for all these kind of alternative, these alternative activities to happen, I think it's really exciting because we don't, we don't have to worry about, you know, Nothing we do in the gallery has anything to do with whether or not we're going to pay the bills. We are, we don't function like a con- commercial gallery. We don't no. sell work. If someone is interested in buying an artist's work, we send them to the artist. Yeah, I'm still so, waiting for yeah. that to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, it, 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 I mean, I definitely do sort of have like an agenda in terms of like, um, you know, artists run spaces and sort of things artists can do other than just sort of make art and wait to become an art star, which 99% of them don't become. What? Um, <laughs> I know it's uh, oh. it's radio. Um, 
But uh, I don't know. I mean, I wrote an essay about this years ago on the Fabulous Notes on Looking blog. Um, Friend by, of the show. Yes, uh, by the Jeff Fabulous Tuck. Jeff yeah. Tuck, yes. Uh, where I kind of sort of proposed that uh, artists should feel obligated to do more than just sort of make their own art because this art star thing probably isn't going to happen. So, um, and if, you know, and if artists themselves aren't like putting on shows for the sake of putting on shows and for the sake of art itself, then, then whatever value art has is kind of meaningless and hollow. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't know. I was trying to put the onus on artists to do that. And fortunately in LA, there's a, you know, there's dozens and dozens of artists that do that. Um, and we're doing that at the time I wrote that. So that's why I kind of felt like it was a thing and it's still a great thing. Um, and, it, and it's, I feel like it's an op, it's a, it's a way in which you create opportunities in the world mm-hmm. for other artists. And, and it's, it, there is a, I think probably there is a bit of a self-interest to it, sure. but I think, like you said, it's, you know, I can sit in my office and write stuff yeah, and that's cool. Or you can be in your studio and make work, but it's also a way to like expand your I mean, if you're well beyond being in grad school, it's mm-hmm. like you you need to still see what other people are doing and engage yeah. with it on a way that, I mean, running a space is, uh, or a, a press, um, <laughs> is a little bit different because you're able to, besides just going to a show and being like, you know, walking in for five, 15 minutes yeah, yeah. and being like, I see it. Okay, bye. Moving on. Um, when you're working with an, an artist to put on, to, to like put up a show or artists or a curator it requires a deeper engagement that is actually like going to benefit mm-hmm. your own work. Yeah. yeah. No matter what, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're, yeah. it's lear- it's just, it's learning. And that yeah. engagement is a natural, a natural, it's a result of this financial situation that we were talking about that necessitates the, the three of you, right. Michelle, Jason and Molly, uh, to like all, and plus all the residents to all be there at the same time. And like we said, Monta Vista or elephant, like these are, these are places where people don't necessarily live, but they all have their studios. So just out of because of the financial burden of a single person paying for a single space, the result is this community yeah. that lives there and necessarily interacts with each other. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely some like social experiment aspects to the whole thing like while they're there. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, the whole effect ends up creating community in this sort of conceptual sense that like you know, that has less to do with like geographic, uh, you know, nearness or anything. But this idea that, oh, you're an artist in your studio. And if you want to exhibit something, well, then, you know, you have to go outside that sphere and that has to include other people. So there's already other people involved. And then like, oh, we have to create a space. And it's like every sort of expansion of the orbit includes more artists that have to interact and deal with something. And then they'll all sort of start doing that over again. And then it's like uh, ripples in a pond that are, you know, overlapping um, to make it kind of Walt Whitman-esque. But, um, and that's sort of a good thing because uh, otherwise, you know, the only other option is like, I make my art and I have a day job and like nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. Or you make your art and then you hope that like Larry... Uncle Larry notices, like, sure. yeah, I go. Right. Yeah. And yeah. which, you know, I mean, good yeah. luck. That's yeah. cool, too. He might. That's That'd be the great. thing. You, you know, mentioned, like, like, the selfish aspect of doing this. And I think that really, for me, that is it, is that if I'm doing this other thing, then I'm not just sort of um, waiting in my studio. You know, it's a way of sort of sure. inserting yourself into the conversation instead of just, like, waiting around or, you know, hoping someone notices what you're doing. 
You're listening to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more. So you guys run a great space, Eastside International and Residency Program, but you are both also artists in your own right, so we, mm-hmm. we'd we love to talk more about your own work. Um, Michelle, you're a sculptor. Yes. Yes, primarily a sculptor, and I've done some site-specific installation. Um, I'm, I'm at a bit of a kind of a taking space kind of crossroads right now in the studio, so I don't know what I'll be what be doing next exactly, or I'm trying to figure that out. But um, thus far, um, my work has been um, a lot of uh, soft sculpture. Uh, I'm u- going to use the word abstract, even though it's a difficult word, as we discovered in our last discussion group mm-hmm. at our space. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, abstract, uh, kind of uh, bodily referential and kind of auto- autobiographical um, practice thus far. Yes, I agree. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, did you want to ask me something? <laughs> you want to um, help me along here? Sure. That's, no, that's I mean, the setup. That's no, what I mean, we're supposed there's, to do. Uh, there's some pretty... No, I was going to say that the, like, the, the reference in your artwork, I'm just thinking, and like, you know, Franz West and uh, Ree Mort and Philip Guston and things like that. Um, cause to me, they all, they look like they're, uh, if you had taken some of the objects Philip Gustin had painted in his later period and made them into real life objects, I kind of feel like sometimes that's what your work looks like, which is great. Cause you know, I love Philip Gustin and I love you. So it all works out. Oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, they definitely have this kind of, I don't know, like this kind of self-conscious, I don't know how to describe it. Like uh, cartoony is not the word, but they seem like. They're like these weird symbolic archetypal sort of forms that reference the body and they reference sex and they reference death and all these ways that are really, I don't know, I never sort of saw them sort of represented that way. Um, But yeah, I mean, the reference are like, are there. I mean, there's all these kind of, you know, this intersection of like formal sculptural things with sort of like phallic references and stuff. It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, wait, you didn't see them uh, represented what way, like autobiographical? Because the actually the autobiographical component probably was more in that Acme show, yeah. that, that body of work, and it yeah. was a lot about... Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the autobiography, bi- biographic thing, I haven't done too much, <laughs> um, is great. I mean, it's reminiscent of Ava Hess. I mean, both your parents were doctors, they're both physicians, right? So, yeah. like, um, that's a really neat sort of thing to learn about and then look at the work. Um, so, I don't know. I've always enjoyed it. So. Yeah, you you bring up my parents a lot. It's something I don't... I didn't ever think about until Jason brought that up. That's, but, I mean, I, I yeah. did sort of circle in on the body as a way to... That's why it's good to exhibit. Talk about other yeah. themes, but, yeah. yeah. But that's why it's great to exhibit artwork and then talk to people while they're in the opening. And then they're like, oh. <laughs> if and, if and, it's not the doctor parents, then what, do, what, is the, what are the autobiographical references? Well, um, well, I think I'm interested in the psychological. So... It became more autobiographical in one particular sort of body. I have this idea in my mind that I've made different bodies of work, even though someone else might look at it and just see it in a very linear 
sort of way. But um, the things in that were happening in my personal life were influencing the work that I was making in the studio. And, and at one point I was kind of going, no, it has nothing to do with that. And then at one point I was just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, it totally has everything to do with it. And so, I mean, a lot of it was a big breakup and then a new relationship. And then, um, so, uh, so actually the, the show that I'm talking about where it became autobiographical was when I decided to, um, create a body of work around uh, a playlist or it, the work itself was sort of inspired by a playlist of music that Jason had made for me. Um, so I, it sounds really sentimental and sappy and, but I mean, it, you know, I'm owning it because it was, it was, it was influential and it, it changed my work at that point to become involved with him and sort of have this relationship that was, um, functioning like, I was so immersed in the art world at that point, and then getting involved with the guy who runs the space was—it was just crazy. But and yeah. how does that how does that sentimental sap become uh, in the best way? <laughs> you said it. How does, that, how does how does that sort of highly emotionally charged experiential thing become become uh, a physical form? How do you work that out? I don't know. It's weird. You know, it's um, it's. It's hard to, I mean, it's, it's sort of trying to manifest something psychological or emotional in the physical world. It's a really weird exercise. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure how it manifests. The way I know that I really was kind of mining my personal life was in the way I was titling the work. Um, but the actual physical forms, I'm not sure. You know, it yeah, because- felt like that. The physical forms are, we're talking about them as being bodily, but it's not like, you know, you're sculpting an arm or something. I almost feel like you're sculpting the phantom limb or something along those lines. I mean, the if you can, can you describe like some of the sculptural objects that you make, like the actual, like what materials they're made out of and physically how they look and feel? And yeah. also you have a thing with color that's, that I think is really enticing in the work. Yeah. Um... Well, a lot of it is soft sculpture. I use um, a lot of industrial materials, a lot of um, synthetic skin materials, so silicone rubber. And, and that's kind of where the bodily comes that's from. That's where right? the bodily, yeah. the reference to the body. But yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I kind of draw the line at saying it's figurative work. Really, it's, it's, it's not. And, yeah. and it, and, um, and a lot of it is about. Uh, yeah, so the materials, I guess, sort of speak to the themes in, in that it's it's um, a lot of the way these forms kind of work in space and with gravity and the way in connection and also systems of organization and the way different forms um, sort of are combined or linked together. So um, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult thing to sort of directly tie... I'm always interested in what other people have to say about the work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah, I feel like that's right on, and that's right on. So it's, it's almost uh, a way of um, just sort of making an open-ended emotional or creating emotional correction, connections that are kind of open-ended. I don't know. That... Yeah, I feel, I feel like the objects, some of the objects you make are almost, I, I was interested that you said, that they are kind of manifestations of psychological 
or not manifestations of, but you're exploring and mm. kind of. I mean, I feel like you're making these weird gestalt objects uh, that are kind of uh, they're well over coated or something. They're not coated like coated like a material, but I feel like the object is always some of the objects you make, larger sculpture, like the larger pieces, um, they have a kind of very bodily feeling, but they're always, they're not necessarily human. They're like, I don't know, they, I'm going to cut some of this out in the end. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not being very articulate um, at this yeah, point. No, that was <laughs> good. But I feel, I feel like it's like a, it's like an object that, like you said, it's a gestalt object. It kind of has these, these different kind of psychological aspects but it's it's more just to it's more like the the thing is uh an opportunity for it's like a suggestion or yeah, a hint it's, yeah, of something that, yeah. it's 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 and it, it's and something it's, that almost trend for me as i'm making it i don't even it's difficult to come up i want to suggest something and open something up as a question I don't necessarily want to pin huh. it down. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's part of it really is not pinning it down too much. And yeah. I kind of love it when, um, I, there was one, one, uh, hanging sculpture I'd made at one point and I had one elderly gentleman tell me it looked like a kiss, like two people kissing. And I thought that was so sweet because someone else told me it looked like breast implants. And like there, so th- I had all these different kind of mm. responses to, to the, to the work. Well, and some of the, some of your work I feel like is le- uh, like candy or cake or something. There's something like not necessarily just like bodily, but visceral and delicious. Yeah. And delicious. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's not always bodily, but I am always sort of going for that um, sensual, su- sensual yeah. or super normal stimuli reference. You know, something that sort of just like peaks the parts of your brain that um, I don't know that kind of bypass critical thinking, sort of. So, Jason, you are pri- you're a painter. It's true. Uh, primarily. Capital P. Yes, with a capital yeah. P. Um, no, am I, uh, right now for the past year or so, the subject matter of the paintings has been, um, uh, comedians and comedic actors that are no longer with us. Um, and, uh, it just, it was an idea I had a long time ago in terms of something to kind of paint over and over and over. Um, and I was sort of at a crossroads with my own work. I usually painted, um, images or pictures of people that I knew or that were close to me or whatever. Um, and so I was doing that for a while, but now I came to this point where I wanted a little bit more distance and sort of make it a kind of more discreet conceptual project. Um, and I wanted to have some sort of immutables and just kind of make them all the same size and things like that. Um, but, uh, as a child, when I was younger, I was identified with stand-up comedians because they were, uh, you know, I was sort of a funny guy. They were funny guys. It was sort of a possible career option other than artists, um, as a child anyways, uh, and they, um, you know, I was sort of shy about asking for help and stand-up comedians sort of embody the notion of a single person up there all alone and they can't ask for help. Yeah. Um, or, so it was very sort of empowering to think of myself aligned with that. Um, and plus, um, as a painter and sort of looking at images and we're sort of in this image laden culture where we're sort of, we can't really escape looking at images and most of the images we look at have been, uh, sort of interpolated and redone and rebaked and rehashed. 
many, many times. And um, that takes on a sort of characteristic of its own, its own sort of aesthetic um, kind of, you know, JPEG artifact aesthetic that um, we're sort of been, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, we've been uh, seduced into sort of overlooking a lot of that stuff, but it's very painterly to me, the idea of like this algorithm struggling to figure out how to, you know, create an image, which is like kind of what painters are sort of doing. Um, so I kind of feel that I'm just kind of doing another interpolation or iteration of these images I find of these comedians, um, which is sort of a metaphor for how we remember things in a way, because we all remember things in a sort of an altered way. So it has all these kind of layers. Um, and it's also an opportunity for me to kind of, I don't know, level the playing field in terms of my influence of these characters because it's not just the famous ones, uh, some of the more obscure ones that I'm also sort of interested in depicting. And the more obscure ones end up having the best source imagery because they're the images that are probably the most degraded because they're kind of like screenshots from a VHS or something, you know, things. And it has all this sort of character that I sort of interpret as very painterly. And um, but probably the biggest idea in terms of painting that I'm trying to reference is the notion of vanitas and the notion that like, you know, this is all temporary. And so I like the idea of like dead comedians because it's sort of without getting too heavy into it. I mean, they're sort of, as John Mills pointed out once, they're kind of like contemporary sad clown paintings. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole history of that with like Pierrot, the sad clown and like uh, Comedia de l'Arte or whatever it is. Um, but like... Um, well, I know what it is, not to like make it sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, <laughs> um, like I humbly have no idea what any of this is. Um, <laughs> but it's, but you know, as I began to research all that stuff, it all sort of started to fit together, and um, and yeah, and so you know, I've, can can you name for us like a couple of uh, sure. the more names we would know, and then maybe a couple names that we wouldn't? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the first ones I did, one of the first smaller ones I did was of Richard Pryor, and that was sort of. Um, that was, and I tried that as like, oh, let's see how cool this idea will be. And that painting, I was like, oh, this turned out, there's something to this that I could follow up on. And that kind of started it off, um, which is pretty emblematic of Richard Pryor's influence on comedy anyway. So I thought it kind of worked out. But I mean, you know, he's one of the more famous ones. Uh, Dennis Wolfberg was a great um, uh, comedian. Uh, he, you know, he had a regular role in Quantum Leap for any of you Quantum Leap fans out there. Everyone's Anyways. a quantum leap. <laughs> sure, sure, of course. Um, uh, but uh, Dennis Wolfberg is one uh, one of the more obscure ones. I did. I just recently did a painting of Bernie Mac, who a lot of people didn't realize actually is dead. Um, so I'm trying to keep it. There's a lot of opportunities here to like. I mean, if I'm not careful, talk about the female ones. Though. Sure. No, that's what I was about to get to. <laughs> okay. if, if I'm not careful, like a lot of things, it'll just end up being a lot of paintings of white males. So it's like I have this great opportunity to research comedy more to find just like you know we should all be doing for art history and everything else to find the examples of a little bit more sort of a diverse population in there um i'm just working on a painting of moms mabley right now who's a uh, african-american female comedian um but um you know and like there's a whole list of course and of course every year comedians die so it's this thing that i could keep doing forever um but uh i very quickly realized that it's like I have to kind of keep some distance in terms of time. I don't want to be like an obituary painter. I don't want to like paint a comedian as soon as they die. Yeah, that um, was the thing. Is like 
when Robin Williams died, it was sort of like, Robin Williams died, it was sort of like, when are you going to make that painting? But it's not sure. like the painting you want to jump on and, yeah, off, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah, no, and there's already some painters kind of doing obituary paintings yeah. for celebrities. Um, and but, and you are know. you mostly, you're mostly working from photos, it sounds like, that you find online. Yeah, yeah, totally. So totally. I feel like, uh, you know, Robin Williams just died. I think we still have uh, quite a while to understand, like, to figure out the various kind of faces of Robin Williams. Yeah, and what yeah, you yeah. Might, if I was going to paint that, yeah. which would be ridiculous uh, for me to try that. But uh, great. <laughs> but yeah, which you know, which image you might land mm-hmm. on. I, I'm, I'm fascinated, though, by the what you're talking about, the more obscure uh, comedians and um, the kind of like like a still shot from a VHS or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So what it, what is it that you're interested in that? that it's, you say it's more painterly, but... Sure. Um, well, like I said, the... Um, when you start to look at like these JPEGs and you start to understand um, some of the peculiarities, the visual peculiarities of how these images are actually constructed, and you begin to get a sense of the logic behind the algorithm of how it thinks like this image should be put together, um, because you know it's like it's just it ends up with these things that to me I'm like okay that seems like a you know it would be sort of a fuck up in the image that like could be interpreted sort of painterly. Um, cause I kind of think of myself as like, I'm seeing this image and I'm processing it and now I'm outputting it. So it's really not that hard for me to sort of make the jump between, oh, this particular JPEG artifact and like sort of rendering that as like brushstrokes or whatever. Like a, a digital glitch or something. Something like that. Right. Yeah. And, um, but you know, it's also like, you know, there's this whole glitch art thing that's kind of like something that. You know, um, yeah, that's uh, has its own kind of aesthetic or whatever. Um, but these, I kind of like these because they're just no one's trying to make art of these images. They just sort of ended up that way on somebody's website somewhere. Um, so, but yeah, no, there's this whole sort of tortured process of like selecting the images. And um, what I'm looking for a lot of times is because these are performers, they're frequently in a sort of performative kind of frame which is actually quite painterly, right? Because in theater, it's like you create a ground and then you put the figures in front of it and you're supposed to look at this kind of rectangle that it happens in. Um, so I am able to kind of like break that down usually or if like if there's a particularly good example of it, um, I can usually sort of zero in on it. And, um, and then at that point, I put it in Photoshop and I start to kind of try to bring out what's already there in the image just oh, yeah. by messing around like the lights and darks and the channels and things like that. And that will reveal, give me some data as to where to go with the paint and things like that. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, there's one. I find one to project, and I sort of get that on there. And then I just sort of look at printouts, which adds another layer to like how the images are sort of distorted. Um, so it's all this kind of process of just like looking and really sort of image making. Um, and in the end, I try to treat the obscure ones, you know, with the same kind of uh, I don't know attention appreciation as the famous ones because in the end it's about it's less about portraiture than it is about painting in a more general sense um or these other ideas like vanitas or whatever um because i mean portraiture is definitely something that's there but um you know at some point i sort of depart from any kind of preciousness in regards to who these people are yeah because a lot of them you you might not i mean if you don't you might not know, even if you're familiar with yeah, those yeah, comedians. Yeah, yeah. Like they're very, mm-hmm. um, he's painting in a very sort of 
washy, ghosty way frequently. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you really do have to kind of see them. To yeah, sort they're of, sort of, I try yeah. to capture the, or make it look as if the images are in a state of becoming than being, to get a little philosophical about it. But yeah. Nice. Well, we're out of time. Michelle Carla Handel <laughs> and Jason Ramos, thank you for joining us on The People. Thank, thank you, you for inviting Thanks so thank much for guys. having us. This was yeah. fun. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. Our theme music is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. When you're there, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And now we're going to go out with an untitled song from the unreleased album The Heart in the Hornet's Nest, featuring Tallahassee's finest Patrick McKinney, Lee Fulmar, and Clayton Richlick.